Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Shouse in the House, and I'm incredibly fortunate to have our own Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, our own number one patriot of January 6th with me, the lectern leader, essentially, like he, the lectern guy is what we'll say, um, <laughs> what he's known for. It shouldn't be what he's known for. I have more good stuff that we're going to discover about him today, but... Um, that is what has made him famous. So I will allow you to introduce yourself. Um, talk a little bit about, like, you're a Florida man. Like, you literally are the personification of Florida man at this point. So how did you, I'm just going to start with, like, the general question that everyone talks about. What made you, because the, the January 6th protest was your first protest, what made you decide to go to Washington, D.C.? Oh, man, uh, that's a big question. I think everything for me, um, I didn't I mean, you've I didn't really follow politics when I was younger in my early 20s, mid 20s, even late 20s. And I think somewhere in my mid 30s, I started picking up on it and I was busy, you know, changing diapers and taking care of kids. So I didn't really have time to be invested in it. No, I, I always was the kind of person that thought, you know, well, it doesn't really personally affect me. So who cares? You know, it's, oh, it's politics. Everyone hates it. Right. Um, then, then COVID happened and um, COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of people. I think me, it changed a lot of things. My kids were told they couldn't have an education. Um, right. My, we were told we couldn't go to church. We were told, you know, we, we had to walk certain directions in grocery stores. I mean, it went crazy. It went crazy. And I think, looking at that, it really did wake me up and say, man, this is, this just seems like a lot. And we can talk about, you know, what the mainstream media did with Trump, which seems to be not what they do with anyone else. I mean, there's always like some, you know, shit talking back and forth, but this right. it's, it's kind of, it kind of got absurd. And I didn't vote for him in 16 because I thought reality TV star, you know, why, why that, you know, sure. there's gotta be something better. And then there was Hillary and, you know, can't have Not a murder in office. Better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't have this question written down, but I do want to ask you, um, your wife is a doctor she and is. so when COVID happened, how did she feel about the response that took place from a medical perspective? Was it like, did that add because you have someone in your home mm -hmm. that knew the truth from the beginning? So did that kind of add? amplify how you felt about how the government handled it so i know uh is she the, really the radical in the house is that what no i'm just kidding the day the day they were going to shut everything down in florida i actually went out to uh to beef with brady's with my uh with my best friends and uh i told you know the wife i'm going to the grocery store because we need groceries or shutting everything down and we definitely stopped at the bar first and <laughs> oh, i'm running behind at this point she calls me and she says uh, where are you and i'm like oh i'm at beefs i'm getting you know my last meal before they tell me i can't eat anymore okay. so she's very upset because the beginning of this she's you know she's a fantastic physician she is of the mindset do no harm she wants to see longitudinal studies she wants to see 
you know, their gold standards they have in practicing medicine. She follows all of them. And when COVID first hit, she was very hesitant to, she wanted to see what was going to happen, right? Because it's, it's, it's a novel virus. We're not sure what to do. Absolutely. Um, Initially it was, you know, well, it's, it's a respiratory infection. So steroids and, you know, we treat it like we always do. And a lot of doctors had these same thoughts and, you know, I can't, I can't, and I won't speak for her, but I can definitely tell you there was a point where she did start having some more questions about, well, why are we treating things differently now that we've never treated like this in the past? This is, this is not something we typically do. We have standards, we follow them. So I think it was probably maybe definitely a lot further into it than I was that she started having some questions, but she's also in charge of, she takes care of old people and that's kind of who we saw COVID affect the worst. So she was definitely more, you know, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to wash my hands because I am actually with the people who are at risk. So let's go back to Jean. I'm sorry. That was totally like off subject, but I I did want to at least ask that. So back to January 6th, you're there. You have compelling reason to be there. Um, You are, for me, by and large, the first like, major photograph that came out of January 6th. Like everything else feels like just kind of a muddled mess of, of people, right? Mm -hmm. You were just you by yourself with that lectern in your hands. So number one, it was by Getty. And a lot of people thought that you were via Getty for a long time. (laughs) Like they thought that's what your name was. Yeah. But when that photograph was taken, two things strike me in that moment. So it looked very escorted. It looked like you guys were being walked through the Capitol. Certainly from like the Jacob Chansley. Is that his name? I'm yes. not saying that correctly. Okay. Yeah, the, sh- the shaman. The shaman, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just it certainly in his shots that you had photographers all there prepared to take pictures of you guys. And that struck me as odd. Like why were they all there? ready to take photographs of you inside the Capitol. I could understand if they were outside, but they were all inside ready for you. So can you kind of walk me through that process? Like, what did it look like going in? Were you in the front of the pack? Like, how did all that transpire for you? Well, it's, it was hard for me to know whether if I was like the front or the middle or the back, because there were so many people and everything happened very, very quickly. Um, I did see the video of myself afterwards and it looked like I was probably one of the first, I don't know, 50 inside of the building. We didn't, I didn't see any police officers until like 20 minutes inside building. I didn't see any armed forces. I didn't see anyone wearing a badge. It was not like that. I saw press and they were all over the place. They were taking pictures everywhere, you know, uh, looking out through windows in rotundas, they were all over the place. And it didn't strike me in the moment as odd. And I've, I've heard two schools of thought in this. And one is that, you know, it is the day they're counting the votes. It's, it's monumental. It's been a lot of, you know, hoopla about this. And maybe they're just here to take photographs afterwards, get their interviews, things like that. And that's, that makes sense. Okay. Fair. So I, I've heard that train of thought and I've also heard, I've also heard, but man, if the Capitol is under siege and it is this horrible, violent thing, why weren't they leaving? Why weren't they leaving, right? Why yeah. weren't they protected? They were kind of left on their own accord or where they didn't have any security guards protecting them or ushering them away, which I assume would be protocol. So 
and again, these are things, you know, you can, you can gestate later and figure out like, oh my gosh, like that was kind of weird, wasn't it? Right. And it's, yeah. it's been two and a half years now and I have, I have more questions and I was there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I mean, like, and isn't it interesting, like Tucker was starting to release some of this footage. And I mean, I think that personally, the reason that Jacob is out of prison now at this point is because of the footage that was released of him by Tucker. I, I definitely think that it had influence. So I know that um, he was already in, I don't know the exact numbers, but they have uh, two things that shorten the time for people in prison. Uh, it was uh, the CARES Act, which Trump put in during COVID, which allowed people to get their sentences reduced by up to 50% if they were nonviolent offenders. Okay. So I don't think he had any violent charges. I think they were all just, you know, not even real charges, but they were real charges. Sure. So yeah. he, I don't know if he was a recipient of the CARES Act. I'd be interested to see that. And there is also, um, oh, it starts with an F. I can't think of what it's called anymore. Tip my tongue. It's there. But that's the one that's there when you earn credits for good behavior. Uh, you have a job. You do what you're supposed to do. You take classes and they reduce your sentence by a percentage. Like a deferment so, program kind pretty, of? Pretty okay. much, yeah. And I know I sat down and did the math on it with my attorneys. And it looks like he was probably in that window to be released to a halfway house. And they were just dumping people out of out of federal prisons during COVID, which I yeah. think is a good thing. They shouldn't be there in the first place, especially these nonviolent offenders. It's a ridiculous sure. thing we do. But it seems to me, and again, I haven't talked to the guy yet. I assume at some point we will. He was probably in line for the halfway house. But I definitely think it more than likely pushed that paperwork through a lot faster than it may have for some other people. Right. So again, it's it's hard to know which one happened until sure. I hear from the horse's mouth. But again, I I like to know things definitively before I make a you know. A no, 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 that's but. fine. That's fair. I I just from a strictly like high level observation perspective, it certainly was serendipitous <laughs> if it if it didn't have influence that the two coincided very well with one another. The timing was very, very, very unique. I can and then Tucker agree gets fired and magically uh -huh. we're not getting any more January six footage. Isn't that odd? Like I you know, I I've <sighs> I don't think it's, it's odd. I don't think it's strange <laughs> at all. <laughs> what? You mean I, our government would put their thumb on journalists to not share the truth with the American people? Surely not. Well, there was that one journalist that was covering uh, Paul Pelosi, right? And let the story release about what was going on, the people there. And and then he got put on leave and hasn't been back since. You've, you, you heard about this? No. Oh, you should look into this. There was a journalist that initially covered uh, Paul Pelosi. Uh, very well paid, you know, California. His attack or all of the other shady the, shit that he does? The, the, the attack, yes. Okay. The attack. Gotcha. But he reported on the story and he released some things that apparently he wasn't supposed to release or didn't know he was supposed to talk about. And he got put on paid leave. I think he's still on paid leave now. Wow. Mm -hmm. I will say, since you brought it up, not to like completely redirect, but... <laughs> the really interesting thing about the Paul Pelosi attack, I, and I keep going back to this, I have watched that video countless times. Mm -hmm. I am still trying to figure out who the fuck opened the door when the police knocked on it. I have watched it so many times. There has to be another human being there. 
Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. And uh, I think initially that's what was reported is that there were two individuals there. Were there two that, individuals mm-hmm. besides Paul Pelosi. That may have been the thing that reporter was talking about, but and I heard about the this. reporter. It was in the police report initially. Well, that's what the reporter was reporting yeah. on because what they had was the early findings of the police report. Right. And it was it was that. And he's like, don't say that. We didn't say you could I say that. I didn't know that he was missing, though. That is pretty fascinating. Well, not missing, just Well, on not leave. missing, just on leave. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's not allowed to report right now. He's not back, but he's, you know, still making good money. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I just, I know I have a limited amount. Of, I could sit here and talk to you for probably six hours at this point. But, um, so again, I want to go back. You said you were in there for about 20 minutes before you even saw a law enforcement officer. Yes. Let's play to the moment where you did finally see law enforcement officers. Were they forceful? Were they, you know, get the fuck out of here? Or were they docile and just like come on guys let's you know like did they treat it like it wasn't a big deal the first officers that i saw um they were actually we were down by the senate doors so it was like down at the very ends i i mean i i'm i was in ashley's group i found out later which was you know the same group that ever yeah it's and i i i left i think six minutes before she was shot it's like a ridiculous thing so but um she was murdered um sorry so no, don't say sorry. We're, she was. We're by the doors, and uh, from the front, and there's, there's probably about 60, 70 people up there. It's very, very loud. You you can rarely make things out. You know, you're having to shout to be heard, and you hear from the front, "Let him out! Let him out!" And um, the crowd just opened up. You know, Moses part in the Red Sea, and just um, two officers came out, and they just kind of sat up, posted up by a corner, and those were the first officers I saw. Hmm. And um, we got tear gassed a little bit after that. And after we got tear gas, I was like, oh, they probably want me to leave now. So I went and talked to the officers and I asked them, hey, I'm lost. I don't know how to leave. Um, I've never been in the building before. Is there a way that I can get out of here? And they told me, oh, yeah, just go down to the hallway, uh, take a right, you know, take a right. And then we're escorting people out the other side of the building. I was like, "Okay, thanks. You know, stay safe and hope everything turns out okay." Yeah. You know, wish them well and went on my way. And that was the only interaction I had with the police that day. That's crazy. Okay, so you leave the building. Mm-hmm. Where did you go at that point? Because obviously, so in my research that I have done on you as a stalker, and I, okay, so first of all, real quick, I love the hat and the mug, <laughs> and I'm going to comment on that, but not yet. So okay. I just want to tell you that I love them. Um, so according to what I have read, one of your parishioners at your church, Alex, is the one who turns you in. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> you are a God-fearing, church-going man. And you, there was a comment made. Hold on. I wrote this down, too. When the judge was sentencing you, he called you a weak-minded clown. <laughs> and... You looked at him and said that you were pleading guilty because you were guilty, but you were holding public property, standing mm-hmm. on public property. Mm-hmm. So were you really guilty? Like I would argue, no, personally. Yeah. Well, but- this is a this is DC courts, and there are swords that are required to be fallen upon. Otherwise, you end up like people like. 
I'm not going to name people because I just feel bad for them, but you will get multiple years. And I, I've talked about this several times. You can look if you want to stand up on on your podium and, you know, your soapbox and say, you know, I'm not going to plead guilty to things I'm not guilty of. Well, good on you. But you're also abandoning your family yeah. and you yeah. do them and you do your movement no good by being in prison. And you may get accolades and a standing ovation from some people for two weeks, but do you know who has to and live through it? Out. Not those people. Yeah. Not those people, your family. So I've been I've been a huge, a huge advocate for people taking plea deals. I know you didn't do anything wrong. I know it's public property. I know it was even open that day. The Capitol's only closed four days a year. It's closed Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and July 4th. And it's closed on Sundays. But it's it was open that day. It's a public building. You don't even need tickets to go. You don't need reservations. It's on the website. You did nothing wrong for going into a building that was open to the public. Nothing wrong for showing up to a protest you had every right to be at. And actually, every every responsibility to be at. So I don't, I that statement, I'm guilty because I'm guilty. And it's like, well, sure. Is there anything else you need me to say? And yeah. the things that was coming out of his mouth, he was trying to draw me into some type of in battled position to where I'd say yeah. something stupid where he could just say, I don't think you're actually sorry and add time to it. And well, sorry, I'm going home. So before I, I'm going to get to that, but I, I want to go back to the Alex thing real fast. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you guys friends before this? Like, were you guys, did you even like really talk or know each other? Um, I would say closer than the periphery. So uh, we, I worked at a, I volunteered at a church, worked at a church, volunteered. I was very active at a church and um, we, I was helping out with the youth group. Uh, the youth bands needed help being put together. I'm a musician. I've always played music. I've always played in church bands, things like that. And um, she was one of the vocalists that want that sang. We rotated them out. So I was very, I was familiar with her. I knew who she was. And, you know, when she was, she, I, I, I have no ill feeling against her. These kids that are growing up, they don't even know what they don't know. Right. So there were people that um, tried to dox her, and I got very involved with that, saying, like, no, leave her alone. I thought it was a guy, so I apologize. Well, mm, ever see this. it's a girl. Okay. It's a girl. Okay. Um. So first of all, so I, I practice Buddhism, and one of the things that uh, – the Dalai Lama has always, you know, kind of preached is compassion, even for your enemy. Mm -hmm. And it's always, God, it's just super heartwarming to meet someone like you who's been through something so traumatic for yourself, for your family, your kids, your community, like all of that. And you walk away from it saying, you know, like I bear no ill will towards this person. Like that's, that's a huge, that makes you a very big person to be able to do that. So may we all aspire to be someone like you. And I mean that genuinely. I'm not mm -hmm. being like, I'm kind of tearing up because I'm a girl and I have a vagina. So <laughs> well, um, there's, there, I mean, pick your idiom, pick your phrase. I mean, you know, if you go seeking vengeance, you know, dig two graves, you know, right. if you're like, if harboring resentment, like it will kill your soul. I, I truly do believe that. And look, I can't sit here and blame the government for what they did because we all know that's who they are. They're, right. they, it's that, uh, what's, 
what's that old story about picking up the snake and putting it in your pocket and the guy being shocked he bit him you know right. it's like no i'm fully aware this is how the government acts this is how they respond at least to one not even political party i i would say towards the people who actually still give a damn about their country and it's always been against those groups of people it's right. not specifically conservative or republican because conservative has been locking up black fathers for a very long time sure. ruining an entire culture you know yes. and I, I can be very middle of the road on so many things i don't think it's republican i don't think it's democrat there is a uniparty and there is the people who actually love their country yes. and those are the people who are under attack absolutely and and the people who won't toe the line, like the, the people who open their mouths, the people who who stand against that. And and, and gosh, man, it's so ridiculous. Um, so sorry, I, I tangent a lot. I'll, I'll try to stay focused. No, I love that you do. And and traditionally I do as well. Um, but I just want to make sure I don't miss some of these questions because some listeners have asked me to ask them. So I just want to try to make sure I get them all in. All right, so I'll focus. Left. I'll focus. Yeah. And no, don't. You're good. <laughs> don't apologize. Everything's been great. Um. So you have left. You go. You go back home. Did you stay in D.C. for very long? Like, what happened when you left the Capitol? Oh, I got the hell out of D.C. as quickly as possible. Okay. Um. So when you told me that I was one of the first people shown in the whole thing, my picture had to have been released within an hour. It was. Like, Within one hour, the picture had to have gone very viral because on the walk back from D.C. or the uh, the capital to Georgetown where I was staying, I was being recognized on the street. So <laughs> it was that quick. And yeah. my phone had died. I'm sure you've heard about it. My phone had died on the way there. So it's charging my backpack. I don't really know what's going on. Right. Um, I'm eating hot dogs walking down the road like, well, that was something. <laughs> That sure escalated quickly. Yeah, you know? yeah. Ron Burgundy sitting there with your beer like, man. <laughs> oh, man. So um, so I'm walking back. I'm getting recognized. And I get back to the room. And I turn on CNN because that's who's going to be saying the worst things about me. Like, I don't turn on Fox who's going to, like, whitewash it. And I turn on CNN. And I'm like, oh, my God. So... As it turns out, I may be going to prison for 20 years and someone is dead. Holy cow. So right. at that point, I end up calling up. I've got a bunch of friends who are in law enforcement. So I'm like, hey, what do I do about this? And is this going to be a thing? And they said, well, it's definitely going to be a thing. And they're definitely going to ask you questions. And it's definitely going to be, you know, the Fed. So, you know, do with that what you will. But, you know, it's it's coming around. It's going to be something. So I'm talking to my wife at this point and she's she's uh she is the appropriate amount of hysterical and right. i am i am definitely not in that mood i'm like what i walked into a building and then i yeah. left that's uh, they'll trespass me worst case scenario you know they'd be like hey you can't come back it's like well it's fine i got my pictures i'm done anyway <sighs> so <laughs> so was she hysterical from a fear perspective or was she hysterical from like a why the fuck did you go there like the typical like wife response like i'm curious because one of the questions that I personally had was how did you obviously like sentencing came later, but how did you handle even this initial part? Because I know you've spoken a little bit about how it affected her business. It affected like you lost some friends within your community, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So how, I want to know like 
how that affected your home life in that moment. Like it had to have some impact initially. It did. And the hysterical thing, she, I, it wasn't, um, she wasn't ever mad that I went because we don't do this thing where I tell you how to live your life. I don't tell you where you can and can't go and what time you got to be right. home because we trust each other. I right. think she was upset because I told her, Hey, I promise I won't get in trouble. And you know, the rest of the story. So she was definitely like, Hey, you told me you weren't gonna do that one thing. And you went and did not just that one thing, but like you did the one thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but when we got home, um, I, I drove through the night. I, um, we couldn't leave at night on January 6th because they had the city in lockdown. I was supposed to fly out on Friday, but I rented a car first thing in the morning and I'm, I'm, I shave my beard. Like I pull my hair back. I put a hat on. I'm wearing all black. I mean, I'm wearing like two masks, you know, right. <laughs> try, trying to get to my car, Incognito, my rental car. Trying to get uh -huh. home, yeah. And I'm in the rental car agency and, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to like pick the brains of these guys who are like, you know, who live in DC. Like, man, that was crazy yesterday. What are you, uh, so what that was bad. That? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I didn't one guy do that thing. Anyway, so I drive home and uh, we we sit together and we we cry the first night together. When I get back, it's probably two o'clock in the morning and we just hold each other because there's there's nothing else you can do in that moment. Right. It's we are either never going to see each other again. My kids are going to be raised by by, you know, by her and her alone and, and family members and I'll miss weddings, I'll miss graduations, I'll miss braces, you know, prom, all of this stuff because yeah. I walked into a building. But it took us about two or three weeks to push through that. And we decided that we have to be stronger than this because we still have to raise our family and we're right. still married and we're still committed to doing the right thing. And the right thing is not quitting on them, not walking them around morose and, and torn up and, and affecting them. So as far as the fallout from everything else in the periphery, it honestly didn't really matter that much because we had each other. We were committed to that. We were committed to our family. I love that. That's so awesome. Um, okay, so I want to go to the kid part real fast. Okay. So you have a couple older boys. Mm -hmm. And did they hear about this at school? Like, did they hear, like, dude, your dad was on TV? Like, did any of them experience anything like that to where you had – so when you say like you guys were together and you weren't going to be walking around morose, I would imagine. So if it were me, and of course, like I can just say this completely like casually, like I didn't go through fucking hell and back for standing <laughs> in a public building. But could you like when you could you talk a little bit about how you handled this with your children? Because it, for me, I it would have been almost like a prideful moment. Like you don't want to teach your kids to do bad things, but you want to teach them to stand up for what you believe in. And I can't help but feel like that's exactly what you were doing. So how did you balance that as a dad? So we, um, I, I'm, I'm very honest with the kids. We don't really sugarcoat things. We don't, you know, give them half truths because they're not ready to hear it because you don't, I always assume my kids know in the world. Yeah. I always know that my kids know twice as much as I think they know. Sure, so when yeah. I bring them like, I think it's time to have the talk. I'm learning things because, you know, they have the internet, you know, 10 years before I had it when I was a kid. Right. So 
when we went to speak with them, it was it was open, it was honest. We told them, hey, listen, we're not sure what's going to happen, but we'll always be a family. We're we're going to be together through all of this, and they're going to come take me. I will be going to jail. I don't know when I'll be coming home. I don't know, you know, what that's going to look like. If I'll be able to call you, talk to you, I don't know. But you have your mom who loves you more than anything in the world. She's always going to be here for you. Uh, we had my my mom move in, so grandma moved in to also support and take care of them. We had one of the things I talk a lot about. I don't mean the spider pool that we had, and I could spend an hour just talking about how amazing these people are. These people showed up. These people stepped up. And the moments I couldn't be here for my family, they were here for my family. And I will never be able to repay them for that. And, you know, when I, there was not a single person who talked to the press that knew me. There was not a single person who did interviews, none of my neighbors, none of my friends. And I, I think it's a testament to how I live my life. You, I don't, I'm not a bad person. I don't do evil things. And if there were those stories, they would be out there. Someone yeah, would have said, this is that person. I dug, I, there was none. So <laughs> no, I, I got a couple of speeding tickets, you know, yeah. like they actually brought that shit up in court. They like, oh, no, not in court, sorry, but they did bring up that I smoked pot once when I was a kid. So yeah. they had me drug tested. It's like, I was, I was 19 years old and it's legal yeah. in half of the States in some way or another. It's legal in DC. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. But um, as far as the kids go, we were honest with them. We told them these are this is probably what's going to happen. There's going to be some fallout, but we will let you know what's going on every step of the way. We went out and uh, I bought the kids like six books of stamps. I bought them like 300 envelopes. I got them enough, you know, paper to handwrite or type messages to me. And I told them you can write me whenever you want. They can't deny mail, so I'll always be here to talk to you. That's so awesome. Well, it's not awesome. It's so sad. But awesome at the same yeah. time that that's how you were able to handle it with them. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. You have this conversation with them. Now the feds show up. <laughs> what does that look like? Like, what was the initial encounter like? So I didn't actually have the feds show up. Um, so for my encounter, it was a Friday when they brought charges. And what they wanted to do was put me in prison on a Friday so I'd have to wait until Monday uh, to have a hearing. So they threw right. me in isolation the whole weekend. Um, no blankets, nothing, just sitting there in the coldest room I've ever been in. I keep my house at 67. This place is meant to torture people. It's it's cruel and unusual. And they had me in uh, isolation in the psych ward. People were screaming all night long. Uh, it was either you were either someone who was shitting themselves uh, screaming all night or had COVID. So that's the rooms they put me in. The next day, um, it was a Saturday morning. They brought in a psychologist or, you know, counselor to check my mental status. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I just, I really would like a blanket because it's very cold. I'm like, oh, we can't do that because you're suicidal. And I'm like, I have five kids and there's a what? misdemeanor. I'm facing a misdemeanor. What the hell are you talking about? So were you facing a misdemeanor at that time? Or like, did they, were the initial charges a misdemeanor? We assumed, we knew that um, my, my, one of my attorneys worked for the DOJ and the BOP for over 10 years. He's got a storied career. Dan Eckhart, awesome fucking man. Other guy is uh, David Bigney and these people. 
they have stood by me thick and thin. They've got their own death threats. They've got people calling for their licenses, but they are good people. Um, they were able to work with the AUSA and DOJ very quickly and say, listen, we're going to be cooperative. This guy is a family dude. He's got five kids. He doesn't have a violent career. He's got, you know, a pot charge when he's young. This is not the guy you're looking for. He's, right. he's already told you who he is. He's not running. You've got his address. You've got his phone number. I even called them before I left DC saying, Hey, I'm not fleeing. I'm going back home. I just, you know, I'm using you my debit call card when you want to arrest. Me. Yes, exactly. Like I, you don't need to <laughs> sure. kick my door in. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, um, we had the charges come in, they were in communication with lawyers and they said, look, you got to do a weekend at that County. So they went and checked me in, spent the weekend, Monday morning came, they gave me a, um, I got to meet some U.S. Marshals, and I will tell you, of all of the different uh, three-letter groups that I met, the U.S. Marshals are the coolest ones. <laughs> they seem to be, I'm not joking, they seem to be the only federal agency that has not completely tarnished their reputation at this point. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep, absolutely. When I was I was talking to one of them, and he was the guy who was transporting me uh, up and down the elevator to the courtroom, and he's like, man, I got to tell you. Really fucking stupid, but really fucking funny. <laughs> well, I think that's really what everyone was thinking. Like at that moment, we're like, dude, why? That's what my daughter said. My daughter's 11. And she she is very excited about this interview. Like she cannot wait to watch it back. And she goes, mama, you have to ask him, why did you take the lectern? And I was like... But why not? Like in that moment, you're standing there, you're already going to get in trouble. Why not do something silly? Like do it for the memes, right? Like, Well, everything's a prop to me. I mean, I, I, I take photos. If you follow me on Twitter, I am, I like taking silly photos. I like using props. I love family pictures. It's, it's what I live for. And yeah. before all of this happened, it's still what I was doing. And you can't go back Which, and see by these the way, pictures. I love your nerdy America with your whole family with your t-shirts and stuff. It's oh, the kids loved it so much too. But they're also the same way. Like they love taking family photos. We went to Universal for uh for um New Year's and we got matching like gold jackets and uh, the wife got a gold dress and That's we were so walking great. through there all looking like matched up and paired. And, but this, like, we are, we are like Americana. We, that's what we try to be. Yeah. I want to raise a family that just loves their country and just wants to have a good time. Yeah. I love that. It, I, and it, it's genuine with you. And I think that's the other thing that's different with a lot of people, especially that have like media personality type situations. I think that it's contrite. It's for the likes. It's it's whatever. But it's very genuine with you. Like it wasn't ever. I don't think you ever wanted this for yourself, if I had to guess. No, Um I there was that, a statement that they used in court that said, uh, I sent a message saying, uh, I'm finally famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was a joke to my friend that we've been making for like five or six years. Right. Because I have all of these kids. Um, I'm constantly doing woodworking projects. We're cooking together all the time. He's like, I just can't believe that TLC doesn't have a show of you guys because yeah. your life is so fascinating. And I like the, the inside joke is like, one day I'll finally be famous. You know, it'll happen. Yeah. You know, and that's literally what that conversation stemmed from. But all anyone ever knows is that I said, I'm finally famous. Finally famous. And, but that's yeah. that's how they work these cases. You get a single statement and then 
you know, you, whoever's reading it, whatever side you believe you build a narrative around it. Yep. And so notable point made there real fast. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, in the communities, certainly that I run around in shit posters united, right? Like we could have an entire <laughs> association at this point um, for the people that I hang around with. And I love them, but it is very important to take note that if the federal government wants to fuck you over, <laughs> they will find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And they will go through, they will literally climb up your asshole and take pictures. Like it's, it's that bad. They will crawl all over your life to hurt you. And anything that you've ever said, it doesn't even matter if it's under arrest. Anything you've ever said is fair game for them. So yeah, but that's the way they write the federal law though. The federal law, you either broke the law one way or the other, but you definitely broke the law. Right. Like that's how these, that's how the federal law is written. And I, there are countless stories of people in prison that have been, you know, entrapped by these laws that are written to entrap people because there are quotas, you know, we, so it's very easy for, okay. If we're talking about a bipartisan issue, I think you could ask, you know, a group of 50 Democrats and a group of 50 Republicans and say, do you think there are quotas for state troopers to write tickets? And everyone would agree. Yes. I mean, everyone would agree like, well, yeah, because no one likes getting pulled over and getting a ticket, but everyone speeds, right? Why is it so hard to believe then that the FBI has a quota? Why is it so hard to believe that any other agency that is trying to become profitable through our tax dollars and always getting that four and a half percent increase in their payout every year, why wouldn't they have quotas then? Every job has quotas and they set people up. They set people up. It's part of their job. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen that probably more, I I would argue, since COVID and January 6th than any other time. And we've noticed it more, I guess. We're more aware. We're more more aware. aware. Yeah. I I think it's been going on since the beginning of the institution. Mm -hmm. But the idea that... Even through, like, I I think what was probably one of the most alarming moments for me was the Proud Boys trial, where... Was that a trial? Well, okay. (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. Um, But the day that they were getting ready to call a witness to the stand, the defense was getting ready to call a witness to the stand the night before the feds had to disclose the fact that that was a CI. Mm -hmm. And it was like... You've let us put him on the witness list. We've coached him. We've worked with him. We're getting ready to put him on the stand. And the night before he takes the stand, you tell us that he's an informant for you. Yes. And it's like the number of people that were involved in that organization were all feds. Like it's it's like you guys are the ones committing the crimes and entrapping other mm-hmm. people. Well, because, there's 11,000 hours they're refusing to turn over at this right. point because, well, maybe we had people there or something, Sure, you know, yeah. and that's none of your business. Yeah. That's none of your business, you know, yeah. because we got to save democracy. And the only way to save democracy is to throw people in prison for walking in a building. Right. Like, does that sound believable to you? This is, no, re- this it's is very banana Republic ish at this mm-hmm. point. Like we're to the point where 
you just have states willy-nilly, judiciaries and executives changing state laws for for voting and completely circumventing their legislatures at this point. Yep. You have uh, like the the amount of executive orders that have been issued during Joe Biden's administration, the edicts, you want to talk about fucking pissed off. Let's talk about the pistol brace rule. Like what are mm-hmm. you even talking about? And then you have congressional members up there who don't even know how a firearm fucking works. Mm-hmm. Well, if you put this strap on, it becomes an automatic. What? You still have to pull the trigger the same number of times. Like, well, I'm sorry. I totally to these, digress. I no, apologize. to these people, you know, guns fire all by themselves. <laughs> you know, that's what happens. It's definitely never, you know, the trannies who, oh, wait, can I say trannies on this? I don't know where you broadcast. You can say whatever you want. I have no <laughs> restrictions on my show at all. It's definitely not the trannies, you know, who are doped out on testosterone. They shouldn't be on making them aggressive and angry, you know, right. with an absent father. And like, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely not that. It's always the guns you always sell fire. Where right. is where is the manifesto from Tennessee? I'm just, I am confused. Isn't that Maybe so we'll crazy? find out she has like some gambling debt, you know, she couldn't pay back. So I actually, so can I tell you, I actually have a theory on the, the shooter in Nashville. I think we'll have the same one. Go ahead. So I think because that church school, whatever Mm -hmm. has a history of child abuse, Uh sexual child abuse Uh that has been covered up Uh numerous times. There you go. Decades. There you go. And I'm pretty sure that she was abused there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We can't let that because, I mean, the same school that she shot up paid Mm -hmm. for her funeral. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, but it's, I mean, there were two factors there. Like you were probably going to get diddled as a kid. One, it's a school. Right. And two, it's a school run by a church. So you have a double chance there. Yeah. And I, I mean that as a joke. I mean that as right. a joke, but you're, you know, statistically more likely to be abused at a public school than in a church, but it does happen a lot in both. Yeah. I I was getting ready to say something, but I'm not going Sorry. to because I'll get canceled <laughs> if I say what I was about to say. So and look, I mean, maybe, and that's the thing too. I think sometimes that we're just hiring people because they have a degree. Like, so no. as far as churches go, we hire like the same people over and over again, and they're not good people. They just have a piece of paper that says, but I'm going to say all the right words. Right. And churches are responsible for not putting together people with degrees, but putting together people that can put people back together. Sure. Like we don't actually. God, that's such a great sentence. <laughs> we, uh... I, I want to like take the time to write it down, but I'm not going to, but I I will make you tell it to me again later because that was really good. I already forgot it. Yeah. (laughs) Have you been smoking weed now, Adam? What's going on? No, I had a long day. I was in the attic for hours. I lost a lot of water weight up there. (laughs) And uh, I'm on a whiskey and Coke diet tonight. So nice. I almost got wine. And then I was like, I don't know if I should do that. Like, because you're so wholesome. Like I was like, ah. I just won't, I won't do that tonight. Um, okay. So. Oh God, I'm wholesome. I got to do something about my image. I got to, got to work on it. 
supposed to be this bad boy terrorist. And- <laughs> um, so I know you had already kind of touched on your plea deal, mm-hmm. but do you feel like you were pressured into that? Where they're like, you better say you're guilty or we're going to fucking rail you if you go to a jury trial? Um, again, or was that an advisement from your attorneys? Like, how did that play out? This goes back to my attorneys. And um, Dan was Dan and David were both very honest up front. Look, here's the thing. If you don't take the plea deal they offer, they will take it before it's, it's called a grand jury, I think. And, right. you know, and they're going to bring an additional defense there. They're going to bring an additional five or six charges on top of the three they already marked you with. So not only will you go to trial for three of them, you will also go to charge. You will also go to trial for their four or five, right. and then you'll be looking at. And there's a um, there's a memo that came from I think it's Eric Holder. I think it was Eric Holder. Yeah, Eric Holder, who said they're supposed to only prosecute the highest one. They're not supposed to stack charges. And this was his memo before he left office. So they use the reasoning that. So what they can do is add. So. If the theft charge they're going after for moving furniture isn't enough adequate time to punish you, they'll find something else to get their pound of flesh. So you may think like, well, screw it. I'll go to court. So what if I go to prison for a year? I'm not not going to plead guilty. They'll find a charge that will carry five to eight years instead, and they'll charge you with that. So they told me the win right up front is getting the felony dropped, getting a misdemeanor. And they said, look, you will see prison time. Like you don't. We can get the felony dropped, but you're going to prison. We don't know how long it's going to be. The sentencing guidelines based on your, you know, criminal history and, you know, and the charge they may or may not take with with one of the other misdemeanors, you're looking at anywhere between three months to six months. And they were completely right all the way through. But when I look, I don't go to a, it's a bad analogy because I do cook. What would I say? Okay. um, I don't go to a mechanic and tell them, hey, fix my transmission right when there's like a nail in my tire but i'm not the mechanic right it's like no there's a nail in your tire that's why it's not moving so i trusted my attorneys to have the advice they've literally been doing this for you know a combined 30 years together so why wouldn't i listen to them i'm paying them to give me advice and look i went to prison for 75 days shouldn't have i think it's bullshit i think it's a gross miscarriage of justice but i didn't go for two years I right. wasn't in a Google. I didn't go for five years. I'm not going for 18 years. Yeah. Like I made the right decisions. So yes, I, d- I don't disagree with you. I think that the unfortunate thing is that they know that too, right? Mm-hmm. Like they know that the likelihood of, of, of everyone just pleading out and then they all get something right. Yep. Um, let's talk about inside of the prison. So you were in prison mm-hmm. for 75 days. Okay, yes. so outside, <laughs> if you're a Republican, like the major discussion has been you guys are being like, or you guys were, you personally were, <laughs> the people who are there still are being completely mistreated. Like it's almost like like a gulag. Like you were you were isolated, you were being treated mentally and emotionally just tortured, essentially. Can you, uh, for example, I saw there was a story a woman and her three kids were going to see her husband hmm. and she's like six States away from DC. So visitation, like it, this was all planned. It was orchestrated through the attorney that they could come up and see their dad 
She drove all the way to Washington, D.C. The day that she showed up, they canceled the visitation. Yeah. So it's that type of stuff that I have seen on my side. But I don't know how much of that is politicized, too. So I'm curious, as someone who was in there, what was that part of your experience like? So, um, gosh, a lot there. I, when I first got to prison, they had me in um, uh, isodorm, so couldn't leave for, I think it was like 17 days I couldn't leave the unit. So kind of locked inside and, you know, best of luck to you. Um, I... I, I try not to make my issues what I went through too much because it's it pales in comparison to what everyone else is. And the last thing I want to do is is woe is me because I know what other people are going through and what they have gone through. So I, I try to I, I want to defer almost to and I want to answer the question, but it's there were things that happened to me that were certainly unfair and, and not not right. Uh, I was forced to take a vaccination or be thrown in solitary for the entire time. And someone had with someone was just murdered a couple months before there in solitary, which, you know, how does that happen? You know, Epstein, but like, this is, I, I wasn't really given a choice, you know? Yeah. So I, there were things that did happen that are absolutely incredibly shameful and messed up, but I'd rather talk about the people that were there longer than I am. People that are still there now and what they go through because it's, I was there long enough as a, um, as basically a tourist, you know, I got to understand what these people are going through. Um, I obviously missed my family and hated every moment away from them. But what I did see happen to a handful of people there, most of the people there is, is just pure abuse. They would do things like go through and you get commissary and they take away your commissary just whenever they want. They're going to say, oh, you're not going to shop this week for food. bad this week. Someone smoked a cigarette or, you know, just some CEOs having a bad day, you know, and they'll go through and they'll go through your locker. And if they'll say things like you're, you can only have like 10 packs of tuna fish, but they don't really feed you in prison. They don't feed you in prison. You don't, I lost 20 pounds there. And that's with eating commissary. My commissary was packed every week. I was taken care of. I still lost 20 pounds. They don't feed you. They don't feed you. And the food they feed you is so bad, half of the meals you're throwing up 20 minutes later because it's not human-grade food. It's actually food not meant for human consumption. It's 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 produce that's meant for horses. This is what they feed you in prison. Um, they um, they shut off phones. They, they tell you, oh, they're not working today. So people can't call their families. They shut off our phones and emails for almost two weeks. My wife had no idea what was going on with me. And I am someone who called her twice a day. I was constantly running out of minutes and couldn't put any more minutes on the phone, you know, by the end of the month, but um, couldn't email or anything. She called the prison to make sure I was okay. The person who answered the phone said, oh, he probably doesn't want to talk to you. Everyone handles with prison differently. Completely lied to her saying that nothing's going on here. Nothing's going on here. But we like people couldn't reach out to their kids. And these people have been in prison for years. They want to call their kid on their birthday because it's literally all they can do is make sure on their birthday, I'm going to call and sing happy birthday. And there was a God, there are so many stories and it breaks my heart just rehashing them. There was a guy, uh, this is probably 11 o'clock in the morning. He, um, everyone's got a cell phone in prison, you know, but the ones, you know, everyone, I didn't certainly wouldn't, um, He's singing happy birthday to his kid on his phone. He's crying through the whole song. 
and he's never even met this kid. When he went to prison, his wife was pregnant, and he's never even met his child, and he's singing happy birthday through a phone, losing it, and all this guy did was have some drugs, and like not even like drugs to sell, like some personal use drugs, and they've taken his family from him, and this is, we have to be better than this. We have to do better than this. Yeah. You know, and I think if anything, I can, I could kvetch, I could say like, woe is me, but I didn't know about any of this until I went and I counted a blessing that I got to see it because I will never be quiet about the way that we treat American citizens. There is a better way to do this. They don't need prison. They need help. They need help. And prison is not help. Prison is torture. So no, no, you're fine. It reminds me of the Stanford prison experiment, except It's real life, not just an experiment. Like these people who are put in positions of authority and power over completely powerless people, right? Once you're a prisoner, you're completely disenfranchised and you essentially have no rights anymore. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to complain to the manager? Right? Like it's, it just doesn't work that way. So they and steal then your on- food. They'll come through and steal food out of your locker, like the, like your actual food. They will come and say you have one too many tunas, and they'll take that tuna and throw it in the trash. If you like, um, so people get shuttled around to prisons all the time. They call it gas therapy. If you're becoming a problem in prison for the COs, you're asking too many questions. You're filing reports because what they're doing is illegal. They have no right to do it. You reach out to attorneys. They do what's called gas therapy or diesel therapy. They'll put you on a bus and bus you around the U.S. for months, two weeks in isolation every time you show up to a new prison because they have to process you. And they'll do this to get you to shut the fuck up. This is what they do to people. So sometimes you'll come back after doing a tour of prisons for eight months. You know, I learned my lesson. I'm sorry. There was a guy who had Tupperware that he bought from a different prison, right? It was, you're allowed to have at that prison. It wasn't on our commissary list. They sent that person to the shoe, which is a special housing unit, which is isolation for two weeks because they didn't know that Tupperware came from a different prison. They called a contraband. Like this is the shit they do. And it's every single day. It is every single day. And there is an invoice that sits with R&D. When you have intake, it's on that list. All they have to do is radio into R&D and say, hey, what did this guy come in with? And it's going to be on that list. Oh, we had that Tupperware. He bought it at this place. And they know this. They don't care. They don't care. Do you see in your future any sort of, just because you've been on the inside of that, you obviously have strong positions about, the number of people that we have in prison for nonviolent crimes, I would say that's a very libertarian position. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't disagree with it at all. Um, but my question to you is, do you see you doing some level of advocacy work or um, you know, public speaking or anything like that with regards to some actual like prison reform? And what does that look like for you? Like, How would you fix that situation if it was you? I think it all comes down to where our our money goes. If we have enough money to kill people, countries away from us for wars we have no business being in, we have money to give people the help they need here who are suffering with drug addiction, who need help getting vocations. Like here's everything too. You're supposed to get training in prison to do things. Everything's shut down. Everything's shut down. There's this list of things you're supposed to be doing like, oh, well, we don't really have the funding to hire the person to get you certified. You know what you can do though? You can go work in Unicorn in a sweatshop for 15 cents a day 
with no AC. OSHA won't even go in those buildings because they know they'll have to shut them down. Like this is this is how that they sounds treat very people. Chinese gulag ish. It is. That is how prisons work. And I had no idea. And I was I was of the very conservative mindset, and I I will never stop apologizing of it. You end up in prison because you deserve to be there. You did something to be there. So, you know, that's why you're there. And you know, that's good luck with all of that. You get what you deserve. So I have a question for you. Okay. Um, so I was very prior to I would say probably hmm, 2016-ish is where I started like flirting with not being this person anymore. But were you like kind of a back the blue person where you're like cops are here they're here to protect us they're here to do great things like i've done a complete 180 on that not that i don't love some police i have friends who are cops so please don't hate me but i i am very anti-authority at this point like when i watched a mom get dragged down a, a set of bleachers at a football game and across a track at a football field by yep. her arms, like she, her feet are dragging behind her yep. over a mask. Yeah, because she didn't have a mask on mm -hmm. that moment, that very moment for me, I was done. I was like, nope, y'all are enforcing edicts, not laws. That's not your job. Do we know what state that was in? Because I want to. I can't remember. I can't remember either. So I so I'll, I'll answer the best I, I can. Think it was a conservative state, but maybe a liberal city. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into, we'll definitely hash that again. Um, I think there is always a danger in generalizing an entire population in one group and one thing in saying, this is a good group because there's, it's, there's no such thing. There's always going to be a handful of bad actors in every organization, but we also have to look at that through the other side of the lens that says, well, that also means we shouldn't shut everything down, Right. That also means we just need to make sure we get the bad actors out. The issue is what we consider bad actors is what the other side considers good actors and, you know, sure. vice versa. So where do you find the middle ground for this? Because yeah. I, I don't want to abolish the police. I think that's look, look at the places that have cut back the spending on police departments and the rise in violence that we've seen. So I it's don't not even just violence. Do you know what the first department to get cut when a police department starts losing funding? I don't. Crimes against children. Are you serious? Dead serious. The very first place to get cut from any department. One hundred percent. I'm gonna. God, am I gonna reform opinion on the fly? <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's so like, who's making that decision? Is that is that like three steps above the desk jockeys, or I, that's the second question I have? Because sure. I'm of the mindset that ninety percent of the problems that exist inside any industry, whether it be corporate or three other agency, is always the administration. I yeah. find that the busy bees truly do believe they're doing the Lord's work and whatever they're doing. Yep, and that's with it. Like that's our military, our police departments, our, you know, your county cop that comes out when you need help or, or, you know, grandma hears something outside and he comes and drives to you. Mm -hmm. That guy is not the bad guy. It's the mayor yeah. <laughs> is making really shitty decisions. Okay. I have, we've made it to an hour and I still have so many questions for you. So I want to like burn. Yeah. Through a let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Um, so 
75 days. Mm-hmm. And then you were put on kind of like a, a parole probation status. I saw you cut your anklet off. Were so, you on house arrest, like for the state of Florida? Like, what did that look like? No. So I was middle district of Florida. That ankle monitor was from a long time ago. This was when I was first arrested. They put me an ankle monitor gotcha. for about three weeks. And I had taken the video because I got a judge, federal judge in Florida that said, this is ridiculous. This guy, they released me because I'm nonviolent without a history of violence. But then they put me in an ankle monitor because maybe I'll change my mind. Right. This is the you initial be violent now. <laughs> exactly. This is the hearing that we had. Well, I think it was about three weeks later. Uh, my attorneys, we got a we got a judge who was from Florida and, you know, wasn't an absolute asshole. He's like, this guy has no criminal history. Get the ankle monitor off. And like he has a what is this? 18. You smoke drugs. OK, okay. no, no more drug testing. Yeah. So no ankle monitor, no drug testing like, you know, Stay in the middle of the floor. So that's what happened. They took away my curfew, took away the ankle monitor. So I cut the ankle monitor off, took the video of it. I wanted to share it for a long time. I was advised not to. So the video that I posted of me cutting it off. Because it would have created a shit storm where people would have been like, you got favorable treatment, you know, all that stuff. So that makes sense. from both sides. Yep. So the video that I posted of me cutting it off free at last, that is from supervised release. I spent the first year and a half waiting to go to court as they tried to find any reason to put me in prison. And um, I was in the middle of Florida forever, couldn't leave, had asked permission to go. Um, I got permission one time to go travel to see my father-in-law down in um, uh, down near Miami, which is, you know, a three hour drive from where I'm staying. And it was for Christmas and the, uh, the judge signed off on it, but they were running stories like they're being too easy on him. And I'm like, my kids want to spend Christmas with their grandpa. This is, sure, yeah. what are we talking about? Yeah. But no, I was a uh, middle district of Florida for about two and a half years. I had a year of supervised release where I had to do community service. It was 200 hours. I had to pay a fine. It was $5,000 and change. Yeah. yeah. And then um, it was... Uh, just random drug testing for a year, which is. So you know, I want to talk about one other thing really fast. Mm-hmm. This brings me to your hat and your coffee mug. <laughs> so one of the conditions of your plea deal mm-hmm. were that any money that you make on your likeness, mm-hmm. you must surrender for five years. Five years from the time I signed the plea deal. And that so, was because they got a whisper that you were potentially going to write a book about your experience. Yes. And they wanted to kind of prevent you from profiting off of that. Yes. They wanted a lifetime ban. The initial plea deal was a lifetime ban. And the way it is written, it's not just direct profit. It is also indirect profit. The way it is written is so ambiguous and with so just undefined legalese that let's just say I want to promote a charity or I want to start a charity, right? Sure. And I promote it on my Twitter. Well, they can say you're using your likeness to push money towards this charity. And even if I don't make any money with that charity, I'm literally just doing it because I believe in the charity. They can go and take all of the funding from that charity. Whoa. There are also things like if, okay, I applied at several low-level jobs. I'm not saying that it's a dig. I'm talking like bagger at Walmart, you know, uh, store clerk at Walgreens, just to see if I could get hired. Sure. 
I'm unhirable. No one will touch me. I can't even get an entry-level position as soon as they pull up the background check because I say these things. I've tried to reapply to college. I have a 3.9 GPA with USF. They won't take me back. I have one semester left to finish my degree. Won't let me back in. They keep doing this circle thing where it's like, oh, you're on supervised release, so try again later. Well, I applied again, and they're still saying no. As And the indirect thing, too, is like, let's say I get a promotion at work. Let's say I do get a job. I land a job, right? They're going to know who I am day one because okay. it's literally in my background check. You apply for a job, they're going to know who you are. Let's okay. say they're like, well, you're qualified to have this job, and I'm there for six months, and I get a raise and a promotion. DOJ could be like, you know what? We think you got that because they know who you are. Like, that's the indirect We're part We're going to take the money from your raise. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's... They could even say I got the job because I am this person. And I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, they're not going to do that. Like, really? I went to they prison for walking in a will. building. I think you're fucking crazy if you don't think they will. Yeah. So, no book in five years. But <laughs> hat and cup, is that just for personal use? Or it is for personal use. Are you challenging the notion that... It isn't your likeness. Like it's, it's just an image. Oh, it's definitely my likeness. I don't care. <laughs> um, so have you seen the lecterns that I built? I have. I was going to get to that before the end of the show to kind of talk about. Do you yeah. have one that you can show since oh, we're talking about it right now? They're all in the garage. If you can do a clever edit. I can. Looks... Go grab one. Okay. So I'm definitely not leaving to get it right okay. now. So excited about this. All right, we'll just pretend that I was here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I have the time written down so I can just easily go in and be like, boop, boop. Okay. Door. Okay. Okay. So I'll ask you again. Do you have one with you right now? I do actually. It's been here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I actually probably won't edit any of that out. Oh my God. That's so awesome. Yeah. I love that so, so here much. And it's got the little insignia. Let me get this light out of the way. Oh my gosh, it's horrible. There we oh, go. Oh, that's and take a stand. Like how great yeah. is that? Yeah, there oh, we go. I love it. <laughs> so um So talk about those. Because I know I know the story behind it, but I would like for you to tell my audience like what you do with those. So do you um, make them? I do. I'm a carpenter. Uh it's 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 a hobby obsession. Um I decided that, you know. I know I can't sell them, but damn it, I'm going to make them anyway. So I make these lecterns. They're, you can't buy one. You have to earn them. And so the people that earn them are people who are taking a stand in the culture, people who are, you know, in, there's a couple of people that you wouldn't even know. They're, they're literally just normal people that own them because I've seen them personally take stands in their life and challenge the system and lose things for it. So these people earn them because they're willing to take a stand and they're willing to risk losing something for their convictions. That's awesome. I love that so much. It really pisses me off that you can't benefit or profit from <laughs> it though. It, it, like that for me, God, man. <laughs> so I think I have a huge amount of respect for you. Cause when you said earlier in the show, you know, your family would be the one to suffer if you took the stand. Like you may get some, accolades from people like me that are like way to go man mm -hmm. but that way to go 
is nothing compared to missing your son go to prom or you, you know, like that, that means nothing compared to that. And so, and then, you know, you, I, I am an absolutist when it comes to the first and the second amendment, like I, I, to the point where, like, I think that if you are out of prison, I don't care what crime you committed, you have the right to defend yourself. If the state says you're safe enough to be in society, mm-hmm. then you should be able to defend yourself. Otherwise, you should still be in prison. Again, you can't have it both ways. Agreed. Agreed. I, so a lot of I people got, yeah. don't take that position. A lot of people think I'm extreme when it comes to that. Shocker. Well, but- if, if we're talking about the end of the sentence being because – so with violent crimes, I do think there should be – you know. I, 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 the, the term red flag is, is all for me. I don't like that term. But if you finish up your supervised release term that you were sentenced with, because of sentencing, they're saying this is enough to adequately, you know, make sure this person reform you. Yeah, sure. Right. If it's a gun crime, let's say it's someone who committed a gun crime. Do those people get guns back? What if Kyle Rittenhouse had gone to prison and he'd he, come out shortly after. Well, That's a was, gun crime. It is a gun crime. It is a gun should crime. Should he have That's gotten a, his guns back? That is he's a He's out of prison. Question. He should have got his guns back. So acting in self-defense. I'm talking, okay, so I'd have to cater the question then. Um, if a person but you acts- you were inside of this system, that same government that twisted things around so that you were standing in a public building you mm-hmm. had the right to be in was criminal trespassing. <laughs> I'm so, saying after the full sentence, and the sentence is not sure. just prison time, it's prison plus probation. Okay. So if you've ended your probationary sentence, I don't really think anything should even be on your record unless right. we're talking about something that directly flags to the job you're applying for, right? Yeah. So let's let's say um, you diddled a kid. Well, you should just be, you know, executed uh-huh. at that point. <laughs> so that's a I bad... <laughs> places for you to go sir not you well, personally but the, okay. the pedophile so someone who defrauds a bunch of people you know working in the market should they be allowed to work in the market again right. after they finish their whole sentence and probation is done are they reformed or is it like uh yeah do we let them back in yep I but also there's no like constitutional rights for being able to work in the stock market, but sure. there is for possessing firearms. That is interesting. I'm going to have to mull that over. Yeah, I am. I am. Think about it for a little bit and come back to me and tell me okay. what your thoughts are. Okay. I, I um, definitely think everyone should be required to have a firearm and should be required to train with that firearm. I think the least... government should have to pay for it. When you turn 18 <laughs> yeah. years old, your tax dollars that you put in should pay for you to have mm-hmm. as many guns as you want to. You get an allotment. Mm-hmm. Here is yeah. your $2,000 a year. Spend that on whatever firearms you want to. Build a fucking arsenal. People tell me all the time, they ask the question, like, what about common sense gun reform? Like, I, you know what I think? I can get behind a couple of things reform. One, um, it should be mandatory. You fire your gun at a range, and it should be paid time off by your company, or at least the government, where, listen, <laughs> Wednesdays, you have to go fire your gun, and you got to yep. clean it when you're done. Yep. I'm, that Here's would be common sense. Reform. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should be proficient. You should definitely be very proficient with your firearm. Yes. <laughs> um, I feel like not allowing you to write a book 
is a huge infringement on your First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. And I would love, even though it's included in your plea deal, I would love for a, you know, one of these groups, you know, I can't think of them right now, but these uh, attorney groups that work for, um, like even FPC, I would love to see FPC take that to like a, a federal judge and say, mm-hmm. this is a wrongful punishment. This is this, this punishment does not fit his crime. Well, I think there's the, uh, there's son of Sam and again, not an attorney. So I, I read about this before I signed off on it. And son of Sam is you can't make any money until the money that was caused or inflicted harm against the people that were like harm is paid back in full. But that's, okay. I, I think it's only for you did that when you paid a $5,000 fine. Well, you know, the judge did say that he could actually charge me for all of the damages because that was how the plea deal was written. So if you wanted to charge me for all of the damages that day, he had the right to do that. It, there's the, the transcript. I really don't is, like the judge that oversaw your case. He brought up Al Gore. Did you read about this? The dude yeah. brought up Al Gore and how he took it like a man and accepted his loss. And I'm sitting there like, you're not a serious person. This because is not real. Yeah. I'm from Florida. I remember hanging chats. I was actually just at the Bush National Archives out in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, and there is an entire display. I'm talking about a like 15 foot long videos playing, you know, documents on the wall about Al Gore saying the election was stolen. Not even kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in the Bush. Uh-huh. Oh, that's in great. the Bush National Archives. And I'm looking at this like, okay, but I'm the crazy one. Okay. Right. Joy. <laughs> You put it in your national archives. That's your museum. And you put it in there. That's crazy. (laughs) Okay. So you have been sentenced. You're serving. Now you're in your like observational stage where they're monitoring you. Talk to me about the impact this had on you guys from a community perspective. So I know you said you've talked a lot about the friends that you've lost, but talk about how this impacted your wife's business are you guys in a liberal area where I know like you said you had a lot of people that came in and took care of your family and stuff Mm -hmm. while you were locked away. But I'm curious to hear like what that sentiment, did you guys have to move? You said, I mean, I've read you've had multiple death threats and things like that. So can you kind of talk about that stuff too? I've, I've got a stack of stack of letters, like, like that of death threats handwritten. Never return address though, which is the weirdest thing, you know, it's like, well, yeah, it's like, I want to write back. I thought we were pen pals. Yeah. Um, For her work, there were, um, they reviewed And those came to your home or they Mm -hmm. came to you in prison? Oh, I was doxxed immediately. Within, within three or four hours, my address was Was it Taylor Lorenz that did it? Because I hear she's really good at that. (laughs) I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't know, but I'm not moving. I, I'm not moving. I love my home. I've, I've rebuilt my home from the inside out after a flood. I built the office that I'm sitting in with my bare hands. Like I'm not moving. This is where my kids grew up. This, I mean, we have a wall with their heights. Like, what am I going to do? You know, move from that with you. Yeah. No, that's, that's not what I'm doing. I live here. I live here. And we lived here without my firearms for a long time, which was, you know, a little scary, obviously, you know, but I, I'm I'm not gonna flee. That's not gonna happen. My wife's okay. job, there were multiple uh, I say multiple hundreds, hundreds of false 
patients saying things like she's always been a racist and all of this stuff that is just that is not true that is not true at all she is the she's one of the top rated doctors in the u.s if you look into her and actually where she's rated and where she's ranked she's one of the top doctors in the whole freaking country like she's she's constantly winning awards i cannot talk highly enough about this woman and how dedicated she is to taking care of people regardless of who they are and what they believe in because she just loves people her heart is is so big and it's it's this infinite space of just love and unconditional happiness and for them to come after her who had nothing to do with this other than being a good wife and saying i trust you sure was disgusting to me that had to be really hard for you to know and God, man, I don't want to like be a bitch, but like you brought that onto her, right? Like that had to be really difficult for you from a guilt perspective that, that you put her through that. I did, you know, people, um, every time I was asked to apologize and say, I was sorry, you know, in court or, you know, for, you know, for the cameras, you know, or look sullen in my head, I was always saying, I'm only apologizing to my family. Right. Because, because I don't give a shit about these other people. Like I'm only sorry for what I put my family through and for nothing else, like literally for nothing else, because I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. I truly believe that I showed up to a, to a valid protest with valid questions and they put me in prison for it, for being in a public building. So I, I feel bad for what I put my family through, but there's also think about the people who don't show up. What if we stop showing up? You want yeah. to talk about like, I'm not an accelerationist at all. If anything, I'm an, I'm a true conservative. I want to conserve what we have and not right. just conserve. I want to take a few steps backwards because things are really out of control. Very the people who so. don't show up after this, the people who refuse to show up because they're afraid, like you're the accelerationist. You were the coward who says, I don't want that to happen to me. Certainly be more wise about it, you know, pick your battles, pick your protests. But what was I supposed to do? Just watch, watch the country being taken away. And I've talked to a handful of liberals and I don't, again, I don't mean to keep tangenting here. Um, You're fine. Consider two things, right? Let's say you can be mad about my beliefs, right? That I believe that the election was questionable, at least at minimum, Right. Let's, let's say you're like, I disagree with you. That's fine. We can agree to disagree. Consider the implications, though, of an election that was questionable. Right. What does that mean for everyone? Yeah. We weren't, we weren't there just protesting Democrats. You have to understand, both parties were in that building, or at least the unit party was in that building. You can and be really, mad the at true infraction came from the Republicans. They were the ones mm-hmm. not standing up. Yes. Yeah. You can be mad at my beliefs, but the implications... What else was I supposed to do? If you truly believed your country was being usurped by nefarious people who want to mutilate children and send your kids to war for profit, why weren't you there? Yeah. Why weren't you there? So I just, you can be mad at my beliefs, but the implications of it, you should have been there. Yeah. God, man. Sorry. (laughs) No, I just, I sit and I think about it for a moment. Like, it's funny because I almost went to the Capitol for that moment and something fell through. I had, and I have two kids, so I I Mm -hmm. didn't have the opportunity to come. And 
you know, of course, after it happened, I was like, whew, glad I didn't go to that. Like, I, but then you saying that it almost like, it makes me feel guilty. Like it, because what, what do I do? I just get on here and talk on a fucking podcast. Right. Like I, and so, you know, I do stuff locally, but like, it just, it's, it's incredibly compelling to, to make sure that, that you're still taking action to preserve what we have. And I think yes. that more people need to do that. More people need to stop saying, well, if I just keep my mouth shut and mm -hmm. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, you just keep sitting there and thinking, well, you're not going to be able to do it much longer. Yes. And that's the scary thing. That is the scary thing. And it's, it's not, it's not a dig at, Look, I'm not asking anyone to do anything violent because I didn't. Now, yeah. What I'm asking you is to understand what I did, which was show up, yep. which was show up. And there are so many protests you can show up to that don't even require you to leave your home, right? Just don't go to Target. Yeah. D don't shop at Starbucks. Don't don't buy Bud Light. There's yeah. so many forms of protest. Go to your that school don't board. Go to yep. your school board. Good God. Check your kid's curriculum. I am in – I send my kids to public school for a reason, and it's because – no one else is going to save the other kids that are there. Yep. My, my kids are witnesses. My kids have a testimony to bring to them. They are bringing them truth on a daily basis. And that is that is their job. We have this idea that if we shelter their 18, they're going to be fine forever. There is no magical thing that happens 18. It's an right. arbitrary thing that we say, oh, high school's over now. Now you're an adult, right? Yeah. And if you're not preparing your kids for the world as it exists now. Right. How bad it's going to be 18 years from now when your kids are grown, they're, they stand no chance. Yeah. You need to raise your kids in a way to they understand that the world is not here to take care of you. It is here to compel you to be whatever they want you to be. And right now, it is an immoral, it is an immoral person. It is, it, it is gross people. Yeah. So my kids are witnesses. My kids go to school to help other kids because teachers are going to save them and the parents don't seem to want to care either. Oh, that's such a good point. So I, one more question, J6 okay. related, and then I have like just a couple family questions and then okay. I'll let you go. I promise. Okay. Um, fuck, I may have to have you on again. <laughs> um, so after all of this, how do you feel about Donald Trump and the upcoming election? Ooh, great question. So again, didn't vote in 16. And I think my vote in 20 was almost a contrarian vote, if anything, yeah. right? Where I didn't vote in 16 because I thought, well, politics, right? Sure, and then yeah. I saw what happened with, you know, we all saw what happened. And then I voted for him in 20 because I thought, well, we don't have any wars or any new wars. And he's right. trying to pull out of the current wars My we're in. The pocketbook looks pretty good. Like, I, I, you know, yeah. This These things kind of seem to be working for me. So I think I'm going to... I. God, I think I'm going to vote. <laughs> yeah. So, was that voted. the first election that you voted in? Yes. First one. Wow. They tell me I voted back in like 2000, I don't know, eight or something, but I've yeah, never voted Democrat in my life. probably voted I've for you. never voted in my life ever yeah. is the first election. So um, how do I feel about them now? It is hard. I see all of the cases being brought against them. Hard not to like him just for the same contrarian reasons, right? right? It is difficult not to be like, oh, look, man, 
The system hates that guy, and they're really, really, really trying. And they're not even talking about DeSantis. Like, so I have to look at it long term. DeSantis to them might even be just a non-threat. Right. Right. So it's is he part of that uniparty? Like, is that why nobody's talking about him? I don't know enough about him. I think he's done a stellar job in Florida. I think he's done like I, I love my state. I think we've Oh, and some... I wonder. I did, should have asked that too. Like you've got him there with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Keep going. I apologize. I'm a little bitter he's running because I don't want to lose my governor that I voted for. Like you 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 told me you're gonna be here. And I'm not one of those people, you know, wait your turn. I think that whole that whole thing's silly. But I just I think it was a misstep to run this time because you're not you know that people are looking for a matchup because we we were a nation that runs on sequels and trilogies right now. Right. Like, he, he's going to get, yeah. yeah, he's, he's going to get the GOP bid. He's going to, it's going to happen. So do I dislike the guy? I don't like him or dislike him. Yeah. I vote, I vote for policies. I think there are some disgusting behaviors that he's excised in the past, you know, excised in the past, you know, decade or so that I'm not proud of. And I definitely don't support, but I don't know enough about DeSantis because he's not had the opportunity to be dragged through the mud. Sure. So, so, um, I just for your knowledge, not that it really matters or for anybody listening. Um, I am right now for the primary. I am rebelling from all of them and I am voting for Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. I kind of like the guy. um i'm a huge fan of him right now so i i don't know like like he just hasn't said anything that i've been like oh gross no i don't want to vote for you Mm -hmm. everything out of his mouth i'm just like oh i agree with you oh you think we should just worry about the united states since that that's the country that we live in great you know, like yep. seeing Mike Pence over in Ukraine today, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Like, do you Mike know Pence that is you're running Mike for Pence. the president of the United States? Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing over there? Oh, he's trying to he's trying to get that neocon vote, right? Yeah. Like he was sent to Ukraine. You yeah. Know? Don't worry, guys. I'm I'm sure him and Sean up. Penn shared a seat. I just wonder which one was sitting <laughs> on which one's lap. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> But I like that. Like he's he's intelligent. I think he's well spoken. I I think he has great policy. I just but again, he's not going to get the GOP bid, and and it's it's one of those. You God, say they, that, but he has qualified for the debate stage. He is, and I think that people, the yous and me's of the world, mm-hmm. outnumber this extreme side over here. And this extreme side over here. And Agreed. we're starving Agreed. for something normal. We are, but I but but it's also um there is that what is it called? Um habituation and uh satiation. Is it called satiation? No, it's not that. It's anyway. Um there's a study. Um if I give you um a lime and I say take a bite of lime, and I want you to tell me how sour this lime is, right? Right. And then, you know, you have a lime again and again and again and again and again. You're going to satiate and the sourness is going to be less and less and less, right? Right. But if I give you an orange on the 10th time 
and then give you a lime directly afterwards, you'll put that lime right back at 10. Sure. Right? You satiate to the things because you had something different. I don't think people are ready for different. I think they're still in a very bombastic place. And I think, unfortunately, right. I think that unfortunately, people are not ready to fully wake up. I think they want vengeance. I think they want a round three. I think they want to, you know, best, best two out of three. Right. I really believe that's where the country is looking at. And the Democrats, they're still supporting Biden, which is nuts to me. But they want their guy to beat Trump again. Like it's right. it's just tribal right now. Yeah. And if you and I are being honest, I'd love to see an RFK, Vivek, you know, yeah. debate stage. Just those two talking about what they believe in. I actually really like RFK. Like I, I, I don't know that I would vote for him because I think that there's a couple policies that yeah, gun that policy I've shit. Seen <laughs> do what? His gun policy shit. Right. From what like I, yeah. That, that's what. There's a couple policies that I just can't get past, mm -hmm. and they worry me a lot. So I'm not sure that I can go there yet. But um, I certainly, if I if I was looking at the situation and I'm like, okay, well, the Democrats are going to fuck us over and steal the election again for all of eternity. <laughs> and I have RFK and Joe Biden to choose between. I'm choosing RFK. Sure. If sure. that makes sense. Like sure, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to go for him. I'm not going to go campaign mm -hmm. for him, mm -hmm. but if I had to choose between him and Joe, that's who I would go with. Yeah. I just don't think you should ever drive in a Cadillac. He gets elected. <laughs> We're staying in a hotel in Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, um, good God. But um, I do think that if I want to see and uh I do want to see the Republican Party push for RFK, like the moderates, yeah. libertarians, not because I want them to win, but just because of the damage he could do. <laughs> I to want the, to watch him mm -hmm. like I want to force them to do a debate. Yes. Make yes. Joe Biden get up there and earn his position. Yes. With your party. Yes. That's why I, I'm asking all of my Republican friends, you don't have to like the guy, don't agree with the guy, but like definitely promote his stuff. Make him think yeah. you love the guy. You yeah. know, really, really push well, I mean, him. That's because... what they did all over the elections last year is prop mm -hmm. up all these Republicans uh -huh. only to tear them down after the primaries. Look, hate, hate the Democrats. They play a great game. They've got a great Fantastic. playbook. Play the game. It out. Play the game. And I'm really yep. tired too. Well, I gotta, you know, stick by my standards. It's like, okay, oh, oh, good. Um, How's that working out for you? Yeah, yeah. Your boy's now a girl. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, okay, sorry. So that that Family. was like two of the questions that I had left. Well, three actually. I had uh, the direction of the country. I think we've established how you feel about that at this point. So I don't have to ask that. Um, but because you are such a wonderful family man, right? Like that's, that is m m like, when I think about you, I don't even think about the lectern situation. Like that obviously is a huge part of what kind of prompted the notoriety and how I knew about you. But since, you know, we became friends, like, and I learned more about you, it was more about how much you love your family and how important they are. I think in the I don't know what's two months now that we've been trying to book this podcast. It's like every fucking I guys, I'm not kidding. 
every time I would be like, hey, you ready to come on yet? He's like, well, I'm going out of town with my family. Well, we're going to go do this with my family. I'm going to go do this with my family. And I'm like, motherfuck, man. I'm glad you're a family man, but shit, can you come on my show? Like, so I... I want to talk about the destruction of the nuclear family and how Mm. bad it has been. You made a reference earlier. Republicans have been locking up dads for a really long time. Do you think we can recover that? Because right now, looking at from a societal perspective, I mean, you've got you're now trying to chemically castrate children so that they can never give birth to or have a family or even have meaningful marital sex in the future. Like you're ruining the next generation. And so do you think that we can, that we can regain the idea of the nuclear family? I do. I I really truly do. And I think to understand what exactly is they're doing there, they're trying to redefine purpose. They're trying to redefine what happiness looks like. And they've been at it for a very long time. They've told women that, you know, oh, the workforce is, you know, your purpose. It must make you yeah. happy. And obviously my wife is in the workforce and I support that. Well, I was going to kind of ask about that because, I mean, she's a, a world-renowned doctor mm-hmm. and you're a stay-at-home dad. It's kind of the flip. So mm-hmm. how does that play? Because, like, I'm like – doesn't she want to go home and make sandwiches and hang out with the kids? Like, she I'm, actually, I'm totally just joking. Don't let her see this. Don't tell her about this episode or she'll hate me before. No lie. Tonight, um, she got home from work and I was finishing things upstairs and I had like 30 minutes left. And I, I cook like probably 90% of the meals here. And yeah. the kids cook like maybe 9% of them. You yeah. know? So She gets at 1% though. <laughs> she does. Tonight she came home and she had worked all day. And she said, why don't you finish up? I'll go make sandwiches. Do you want a drink? So Aww, she literally see? came home after working all day, brought me a drink upstairs, and made me a sandwich. <laughs> so That's awesome. We see, don't- ladies, that's all it takes. Look how happy he is right now. It's like ear to ear. My wife is fucking awesome. She is. We, <laughs> we definitely believe that like gender roles definitely do exist. Yeah. Like she would... She would absolutely be happy at home raising kids and spending time with them. We've talked about this. Yeah. But I've I've done both sides. Um, uh, I I was married before. I don't I don't know if you heard about this. I I was married before when I was young. The older three kids are from my first marriage, and I divorced very young. We have full custody of them. She's adopted them. But while the kids were young, I was working sixty hours a week, and my wife was a stay at home mom. So I've lived both sides of it. I've done the sixty hours a week, come home exhausted. You know, but there's still laundry to do because you've got to be the helpful husband who also does his fair share, even though you're home all day long. And how is the laundry not done? I don't know. I've got I've got problems with that because I agree wholeheartedly. Like women, if you're going to stay home, be a homemaker, like make Mm -hmm. sure that dinner is ready. The house is clean. The laundry's done. Your kids are fed. Yep. Their homework is finished. Like mm-hmm. the evening, once the kids go to bed, that's for you and your husband. Like it's it should be. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's no, okay. this is this is how it is. Uh, she's not allowed to touch the laundry. Like that is my job. Yeah. Like the laundry is done. It's folded. It's put away when she comes home. 
I plan dinners. I do all the grocery shopping. I take the kids to all the doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, orthodontic, eyeglasses, everything. Their right. homework is done. We've got four out of five kids on honor roll because I do homework with them. Yeah. And it's, we do believe gender roles do exist, but they don't, they don't define you though. It's not like sure. you have to do everything that's lined up with it. She still loves wearing dresses and putting makeup on and feeling like a woman, you know, right. like I, I, I'm a very sweet man. I will, I will definitely say that. I, <laughs> I still open her door everywhere right. we go. Like there's, I still form those roles and that's, there is a balance in there. Husband, yeah. mm -hmm. Like I, I still plan date nights. We have a date night on Friday night. And then like next week we're going scalloping with some friends. Like we're con I'm constantly planning dates. Going here. what? Uh, scalloping. Oh, I thought you said sky lifting. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> Okay, you just stand there and you do this over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. But we um, we we are we are heavily invested in each other's lives, and we try to make sure that we're not a burden to each other. Is what we do. And she'd rather be home every day with me. But when I was working sixty hours a week, I would also have rather have been home with my kids. Sure. It's you know. But now that I'm home with the kids. It's also very isolating if you're a stay-at-home parent. And it's actually, it's actually, I think, a little more difficult for dads because we don't really have like dads that we hang out with. Right. And I'm one of those old school people where I'm not going to go hang out with stay-at-home moms because sure. it's inappropriate for me to be hanging out with women who are yeah. not my wife while my wife is away. Yeah. So doing that in the beginning was actually really difficult. There were not a lot of dads to, you know, keep company with. Do your kids play sports? Like, is that a, a realm that you've been able to change that dynamic a little bit? Uh, jiu-jitsu. Oh, okay. Do, okay. We do jiu-jitsu. Uh, my wife does it. I do it. My kids do it. It's organized sports with schedules. There are so many of them to keep up with all of that. It's, it's, it's impossible. And all yeah. it would ever be is, is tired. And I think we'd end up presenting having to give up all of our free time to take them to run around on a field and be sure. mediocre at something they'll never get a scholarship in because they're not going to be tall people. Right. Okay. That's fair. So. <laughs> yep. No, that's smart. Uh, my daughter's a gymnast. She's a competitive gymnast. And oh, it's really interesting that you say that because we give up a lot of time for that. It's she's mm -hmm. in the gym three days a week, four hours a day. So, yeah, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, like just saying it out loud, she's only 11 and, you know, she's been doing this since she was three years old. Mm -hmm. So now as she's gotten older, she started to like she went and played soccer at a rec league a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. And the coaches were like, oh, my God, can you come play for us? Like, <laughs> what are you doing right now? And then, of course, but her schedule, she mm -hmm. can't. And so it just, it's made it really hard as a mom to, to do that. Yeah. But that's really smart on your all's part to give them something that they can mm -hmm. excel in and work hard in and develop some of those values that they will carry with them, you know, throughout their whole life. Sure. But also still leaving time for you and your family. I was not that smart. I made a really poor decision when she was very young and now I'm forever well we kind of also have the idea that and it's it is not a dig so green assault this like how important is it really to be able to throw a football and we're talking right. about life skills 
And there are people, and look, I'm not saying like there aren't at least, you know, less than 1% of 1% of people who make a lot of money doing it, you know, but it comes with CTEs and scandals. Um, I spend time with my kids learning real life skills. Like my, my kids can all cook, like they, they can all cook very well. It's something that I learned to do when I was young is when I first jobs, they can all cook, they can all change a tire. They all know how to use almost every single power tool in my shop. So the time we spend is not them kicking a ball around. It's learning life skills. And yeah. it does, it does two things. One, God, more families. Need we spend one-on-one time together and we get to communicate and learn about each other and talk about our days while we're like, they're building their own um, office workshop upstairs for their school, right. you know, and I'm guiding them through it, but they're planning their own boards. They're standing their own boards, polying them and they're, and we're hanging out together the whole time. Right. So they're learning something useful, you know, and they're hanging out with me. That's awesome. That's so awesome. More families need to do stuff like that. The the life skill stuff. Like it's easy to spend time playing silly mm-hmm. stuff, but like women, I think about this from the female perspective all the time and I I'm blessed or cursed, however you want to say it, to have both genders in the household. My daughter's starting to get to this tween age where she thinks she's a grown adult. Um, I took a picture of her sleeping in the car holding a stuffed animal today. And I was like, not so grown now, are you, little girl? So, um, but I think that, you know, females, I was just talking to someone about this the other day, uh, traditions in like sewing and cooking and, Mm -hmm. you know, those types of things are being so lost because it's not being passed on culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a woman that I did a podcast episode with. She had, or she escaped Nazi Germany and then oh, also wow. survived the Russian occupation. And <laughs> it was that just is a yeah. strong woman. Yeah. Oh, super God. beautiful story. She talked about how she came to the United States. Like it's really great story. But since our episode, she has sent me pictures. She has sent me recipes, like things that, you know, like it just generationally, I don't want to lose that. Right. Like I, I want her schnitzel recipe. Like, I think that that's important. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think about my daughter, like in the future, I want her to be able to cook a meal for her husband. I don't want her ordering DoorDash, you know? And I feel like I see what culture looks like right now for women Mm-hmm. I'm scared to death to know what it looks like when my daughter is as old enough yeah. to get married. Well, a lot of it is the expectations that men have for women now as well. And I think they're, they're very watered down. Yeah. We, we want, well, I think we've always wanted what we've wanted, but it's gotten to the point to where we can just have what we want at a click of a couple of buttons. Right. And I really do believe I, I firmly believe the porn industry has done such such damage to our culture and we really don't talk about it yeah you know because we're adults and it's fine if you look at things as adults well it's not adults looking at it and it is so difficult to keep it away from children yeah i I think the study was and this was probably 10 years ago that even in churches three out of four men admitted to watching pornography on a regular basis so that population is church-going men and those are just the ones that admit it because sure. you know, at least a handful of them would never admit it, even on an anonymous survey. 
Yeah. And that's a community who is not supposed to be watching those things, who was dedicated to not doing those things. Right. How bad is it really? Yeah. And I think it is ruining, it is ruining relationship. We don't, Susan and I talk about this all the time. We, we were told during therapy, uh, we did a uh, premarital counseling because we were both married before and we thought we should just make sure we hash out any baggage that we're carrying into it. Sure. And Smart what, book, by the way. yeah, what they told us um, was that, listen, after a couple of years, you know, that, that lust, that desire you have for each other, that's going to dissipate and you'll have to like focus on other things. Look, my wife is still hot and I am still after her on a she daily is very basis beautiful. Yes, because she is, and it's inside out too. This woman is, is, is a magical person inside out. And the reason why that passion exists the way it still does is because I'm not putting my passion other places. Right. And I think if men took a step back from pornography, from this easy accessible thing that is ruining that, that desire, that fire for their spouse, their spouses would feel that women, women know when men are present, when they're, when they're making love and connecting and before yeah. that, they, they know, they know. And if they know when they're not feeling it's, it's, a, it's, it's true, it's valid, it's 100%, you are destroying that relationship. You are deteriorating it a day at a time. Yeah. So I, I tell every single person, my kids, especially every single time, you look at another woman every single time you you watch porn you you go through these things you are robbing from your wife in the future desire for her right and i i we talk about the nuclear family how to keep it together we need to talk about i don't think we should have porn as accessible as it is in this country i, I it's it's prostitution if prostitution is illegal how the hell can you pay people to have sex and film it then sure yeah i I have a huge problem. I I have I have a huge problem with a lot of it. And then, of course, when you talk about it, though, you're a prude, and you don't support <laughs> women's rights. And you know, I and and so I. These women aren't happy. I fight though. that bullet most <laughs> of the time, though. Like I'm like, you're a whore. Like you're being a whore. And I call it world of whorecraft. Is what mm. I call it. So, um. <laughs> My problem that I have at this point is you can say that you're not diminishing your value, but at 50 cents a pop, I can see your tits, your vagina and whatever else. And every time you send one of those photographs, whether you believe it or not, you are chipping away at your own soul. You are, yes. you are, are diminishing your value. And then one day, Either your son is going to find your OnlyFans or your daughter is going to find a boy that's looking at it. Yeah. And then you are going to have to face the choices that you've made. Yes. And yes. I think that I, you know, and, the, and then you'll have all these women that are like, my bank account, my house is paid off and whatever. I, this is so great. And I'm like, show me a man that's looking at you and valuing you then. No, because any man that finds you found you through that, through that lens. Avenue. Yeah, yeah, and that's just, and that's that's where they're going to exist with you. There's no respect there. Yeah, there isn't. And I look, I um, I I don't care. But call me a prude. I really don't care. Do you know what I am? I'm happy. happy. I am. Okay. I am. I am happy. Beautiful family. Uh, my, yeah. My soul. My soul is is wholesome. I I love my wife. I love my kids. And if that's if your biggest attack at me is, 
oh my God, you're such a prude or, you know, you're just, you know, you don't, you're not really having fun. It's like, no, what you're doing, what you're doing, we used to call it sin. What you're doing is sinning. What you're right. doing is sinning and it will corrupt your soul and it will ruin you from the inside out. And it won't, it, it won't just be this one thing you do. It will corrupt every other part of your life yeah. because sin knows no bounds. Sin will continue to corrupt every last part of your soul until you are fully consumed by it. This is, we, we talk about gateway drugs. It's, it's, it's not a gateway drug. I, I hate that term. It's, it's gateway sin. You tolerate one thing, you're going to tolerate the next thing and the next thing yep. and the next thing. So since you brought it up just a little bit, I just want to ask one more question then I promise I'll let you go. And I'm sorry okay. that I've kept you for so long, but it's I'm almost been, done. I know. <laughs> you're like, I'm dying over here. Get me out of here. Um, I religion. Mm -hmm. So I, I told you that I've been practicing Buddhism for a long time and I know mm -hmm. that, um, but I've been, I've been revisiting or flirting with the idea of getting back into the church. And I mean, the world's fucking falling apart. God is coming back at some point and I need to like get on the train at this point. <laughs> I'm starting to worry about my redemption. So, um, I, I feel like even though I don't go to church and this is, I feel like a hypocrite, but I feel like church being brought out of society, like you don't, in my personal circle, now this isn't going to be the same for you because you go to church regularly, but I don't. And in my circle, I don't know anyone who does anymore. <laughs> I have zero friends, whether it be gymnastics, mom friends, mm -hmm son, baseball friends, co-workers, no one goes to church anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think we have just fallen from grace so far and become such a godless society. Yeah. No one ever asked the question why people don't go to church anymore. And it's not because we become so terrible. This goes back to like, you know, you know, when you're being lied to, like, you know, when you're being lied to yeah. and most pastors these days, they would rather fill seats and offering plates than restore hearts. That is, that is the modern day church. People are too afraid to read the Bible as it's written. And right. it's, it's, it's written pretty damn clearly. Yeah. Like it says, these are the things I require of you. These are the things that I expect of you. And it says all of this, but it says it through, it says it through grace. You know, like it's yeah. no one's asking you to be perfect. We're asking you to care about your soul. We're asking you to care about your neighbor. And we're asking you, like, you have a responsibility to speak in truth and love. And what we're hearing right now from pastors is a lot of speaking in love and acceptance. But this whole idea of, uh, of hate the sin but love the sinner, no, because the sinner needs actual help. The sinner needs to be brought back into the fold and say, hey, we forgive you, but you're ruining your life. You know, you're having an affair, you're struggling with alcoholism. We don't have real conversations anymore because we just, we're so afraid of, of controversy and conflict. We're afraid of personal accountability. Mm -hmm. Yes. The one thing yes. I can say about the church is it's a mirror. You can go sit in that mm -hmm. pew and you can listen to that sermon and it does not matter what he is saying up there. You will identify with every single word coming out of his mouth. Yes. And if you are not living your life right, you're going to feel it in that moment. And people do not want to hear 
that they're not living their life correctly. People, if you have never felt the presence of God in your life, I feel sorry for, I I actually, I feel bad for you. I, I hope you do. I really, truly hope you do. And if you have questions, like, please ask me, I'd love to help you with that. But if you, if you have, it is undeniable. It is undeniable and it's inescapable. You can live your life trying to get away from it. You can try to turn away from it, but it is always there. And once you, once you have felt this presence, it is always there. It is impossible to get away from. And when you try to run, when you try to live in a different way and say, you know, I'm fine on my own. I don't really need these things. And it's not that you need church, but you, you do need a strong prayer life. You do need accountability and a group of people who are keeping you on track. I just, I, I'm not even sure if I believe in church and how it's run these days. I believe in community. I, I believe yeah. in talking to people and asking them, being real with them. You know, if I, if I see my brother slipping, I will have a conversation with him because I expect the same thing from him. Yeah. So, okay. We're going to end it on that. It was too good to go anywhere else. That's going to be the last thing that's said for the show. Thank you so much. God, it's been great having you on here. I'm probably going to have to have you on again because I had a great time. It's, it's so good. So Adam, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for hanging out with me to my audience. Please go follow Adam. If you don't know, it's at lectern leader on Twitter. Um, great guy. Obviously, he is far more than just the dude who walked through the Capitol building. So I hope that I conveyed that with some of the questions that we talked about today. Thank you for tuning in. I love you guys. Adam, thank you so much. Take care and have a good night. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death!